Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. All of the talks are posted on our website, insightberkeley.org, and also on Dharma Seed. Uh, if you're not familiar with Dharma Seed, it's a, a really great resource with thousands of talks by um, all the teachers in our community. Um, so I want to have it recorded. So the subject of the talk tonight, I'm calling the problem with resisting reality. And uh, subtitle, and the freedom that comes from opening to it. Um, as you probably know, if you've been around me for a while, uh, I'm an optimist by nature. I wasn't always an optimist. Actually, I was, I'm a, an optimist convert. I was a, a pessimist for much of my early life. Uh, if truth be told, I just didn't think things would work out, didn't think that I was cool enough, sharp enough mm, that um, mm, popular enough, things like that. And uh, I was very shy. Uh, but at some point, I went through a major conversion and uh, I am a believer. I am an optimist. Uh, I was always a sports fan, and that is one of the best ways to um, cultivate your optimism. Uh, well, it's not always one of the best ways to cultivate your optimism, but I did grow up in, uh, in New York in the 60s, and uh, the New York Mets, um, a thousand to one odds winning the the um, the championship at the beginning of the year and went all the way when just everybody said you got to believe and uh and it caught fire and so you know as a sports fan as they say it's it's never over until it's over um till the last out in the ninth inning or the the last second of the of the game so that's that is my nature for quite some time. And um, yet these are really hard times to be an optimist, as perhaps you might agree. I was thinking about that quote. I looked it up who, it, who said it. It was Thomas Paine that said, these are the times that try men's souls. And that was true in the Revolutionary War. And it's true now. These are the times that try humans' souls. We can update the gender. It's hard. There's war in Ukraine and various places around the country, around the, the globe, I should say. There's uh, mean-spirited, divisive politics in our country and in many other places in the world. There's the climate, of course, which is um, really a hard one to take in. And, um, and this, this is why I'm, I think it's, uh, it's beho it behooves me to apply my awakening joy attitude and teaching to climate it i think it seems like uh this is my karma uh to be both generally an optimist but but care about about what's happening and and try to put the two of them together uh in the last month or so there were a few teachers from one earth sangha i just mentioned um and we did a an in-house uh, Dharma teacher 
training. It was a pilot and I did it with a couple of other teachers and, and Kristen Barker from, um, who's the director of One Earth Sangha and this other teacher, Adam Lobel, put together a really uh, wonderful curriculum for three teachers, myself, Mark Coleman and Catherine McGee, to just try out a, a curriculum that other teachers could perhaps take uh, to get in touch with everything in there that goes on, our relationship to the situation, and how we can present in a meaningful way, how we can process reality and then present in a meaningful way um, some teachings that might be supportive for people. And just going through all of that, uh, you know, you, you have to open up to what's here. And I've gone through, as I've said before, this is not just going to be about climate, um, but that that's the one that's really uh, stirred me in, in uh, many ways uh, in recent years. I've gone through a series of dips of just coming to terms with, with the pain and the, the suffering that uh, faces us globally. Uh, and it's been a kind of practice for me to try to come to terms with all the craziness and insanity in the world. And that's part of the process to go through the grieving, go through the pain, and hopefully come out the other end. But I want to talk about a teaching that I received, a transmission that I received from a, a dear friend a few weeks ago that has been very helpful for me and impacted me uh, as I remember the simplicity and, and profundity of the teachings given by uh, a dear friend of mine, um, Edward Lewis. Um, and Edward was, uh, is uh, now 88. And he, um, he was one of the founders of, of Spirit Rock. Um, he, was, he came early on. We were fortunate enough to enroll him. He was uh, into real estate and very successful and really got into the Dharma. And he knew about building things. And uh, we said, why don't you come down and, and help us build a center? And he did. And uh, it was on the board for many years. And he's somebody who just kind of, he's a straight shooter, just kind of tells it like it is. And there's this uh, teddy bear, beautiful heart underneath that very awesome and uh, sometimes intimidating uh, demeanor in those days, but I always saw his, his, his teddy bear heart. So he didn't, he didn't frighten me. And I just loved him as, as anybody who's hanging out with him for a while, uh, does. Anyway, it was his 88th birthday a few weeks ago. And he's part of a group that meets monthly, uh, on zoom. He lives in Thailand now. Uh, and, um, he's a very, just, you can see the practice over the course of decades working through him. He's very, uh, good friends with Ajahn Sumedho, one of the, one of the main monastics in Theravadan, uh, Buddhism. They, they speak frequently and, uh, and so he's having really great Dharma conversations all the time. But there he was on it. We met on his 88th birthday. So we asked him to give a Dharma talk. Well, what are you, what have you learned now after all these years? You know, here you are, you've been into the Dharma for, you know, f close to 40 years now. Um, what have you learned? Why don't you just share what, what you've learned with us? And he gave this really, simple and moving, um, beautiful Dharma talk. And I started taking notes because, oh, that's a gem. That's another gem, you know. But two things that he said 
that really stayed with me. And I'll share them both with you as the basis for, you know, perhaps we can, we can uh, get the, I can offer you the transmission that I got and see how it lands for you. This is what he said. He said he, he's learned after all this time, he's come to the realization that suffering and acceptance cannot exist together. Suffering and acceptance cannot exist together. Now, I just want to um, uh, clarify that when, of course, there's suffering that's part of life. There's pain, there's physical pain, there is um, loss, there's grieving, there's all kinds of dukkha, as the the word in uh, the Buddha's teaching points to the first noble truth. There is suffering in life, but the suffering that the Buddha was talking about and that Edward was talking about is the mental anguish that we put on top of the inevitable pain in life. So just think about that for a moment. Suffering and acceptance cannot accept cannot exist together. That when you truly accept reality as it is, the way things are, it is what it is. There can be pain, there can be sorrow, there can be loss, there can be grieving and all of that. But the extra suffering that we add when we wish things were different than the way they are, when we truly accept this is how things are, there's a kind of relief in that. So that was one teaching. And then a very simple expression of this, he said, I've, he said the other, uh, the other week, something happened, something dropped, or I, I forget, uh, something that uh, happened, um, I think he broke something. And his first response in much of his life was, oh no. And he saw that it had changed to, oh without the no, instead of, oh no, to, oh, oh, this has happened. It, it, it's so simple, and yet um, it's so profound. The first noble truth is there is suffering in life. There is dukkha the unreliability of, of life, the unsatisfactoriness of the fact that there's no lasting happiness. And as Edward pointed out in his talk, suffering, that first noble truth is to be understood. And then the cause of suffering is wanting things to be different than the way they are. The second noble truth, attachment, that attachment to desire, not that desire, all desire is bad. Sometimes people hear that second noble truth and they, they say, oh, uh, the second noble truth, um, the cause of suffering is desire. But actually, it's, it's not the most accurate picture of the second noble truth because there are lots of very wholesome desires. You know, you have a desire to come and sit together on a Thursday evening. Oh, how wonderful. 
that's a healthy desire. You have a desire to be a, a good parent or a, a, a loving friend, or maybe a desire to uh, learn to play a musical instrument because it's very fulfilling, or you have a desire to um, express your, your talents and your gifts so that they can be a, an offering to others. That's a very healthy desire. And in the, the teachings, I, I want to make the distinction between those two. So this is that healthy desire or beneficial desire is chanda, which is a, a beneficial desire, something that you would like to do or want to have happen that is for the benefit of your of others or just a feeling of a healthy fulfillment and then there's another kind of desire called tanha which is literally thirst the word thirst where there's a un unquenchable feeling of not enough so the second noble truth is not just desire is the cause of suffering, but rather attachment to our desire is the cause of suffering. And if that attachment is the cause of suffering, that led the Buddha to see the third noble truth, the end of our suffering is learning to let go of that attachment to the way things are. Uh, sorry, to uh, the way we would like them to be and simply opening up to the way things are. And we get practice to do this all the time throughout the day, throughout our interactions and throughout every movement of mind towards or away from experience that wishes things were different or wants to hold on to them. And when I say, of course, it, there can be a healthy desire to wish things were different, something that you can do, the serenity prayer to have the serenity to accept the things I can't change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. But when there's a grasping and a contraction that says, I am not going to be happy or I'm not going to feel uh, come to some peace inside unless this changes. If things are the way they are, we have two choices, either wish they were different or open up to reality and say, this is the way things are. Now, I want to share with you um, a, a short clip, a two-minute clip. I shared this before. It's been uh, several months since I've shared this, but uh, I want to share it again, and perhaps people weren't on the last time that I, I did show this clip, of my good friend Terry Patton, who uh, passed away in um, uh, October and for those who weren't here, I'll just briefly share the story and then hear, hear you give, hear him uh, give his last teaching a week before he died. And Terry was a, a very wise being, a, a wonderful teacher, um, um, wrote a number of fabulous books and had a large following in, in his own um, community. And he found out that he was um, on his 70th birthday, which was April Fool's Day, uh, April 1st, last year. Uh, he found out that he had an incurable, incurable um, illness and he had uh, probably very little time left. And for all the practice that he'd done over the years, um, he went through a really intense 
response for 24 hours. He thought, oh, I've got more things to do and I don't know if uh, uh, I have more um, uh, more teachings to give and there's climate, which was, a, which was very dear to him. And um, he said, this can't be. And he went through all the stages of, of uh, coming to terms with one's death that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross writes about. He went through the five stages of, of death from denial and anger and rage and bargaining and um, etc. until he came to acceptance 24 hours later. That, that's a quick journey, a lot quicker than most of us. Um, but this is what he was called to do and what all of his practice enabled him to do. And the last seven months, he gave teachings on accepting his own mortality and the mortality, possible mortality of humanity. And what I want to share with you is a two-minute clip of his last teaching. It was a series of four teachings that he gave from a hospital bed. Um, he didn't know he was dying in a week. He was actually incredibly clear, but it turned out that uh, one week later he died. We saw him a, a few weeks uh, before this, and he was really, he was lifting weights and he was saying, yeah, I'm going to be around as long as I'm going to be around. And there was a, there's been a great weight that's lifted off my, my chest when I realize, okay, I'm here for whatever is here. So I want to share with you now, if I can, um, Terry Patton's uh, last teaching. Okay. So let's share the screen. Um, can everybody see it? Can you see it? Okay. And I've queued it up and here he is. Uh, the teaching was, uh, ab about an hour, uh, an hour or so, but, uh, this is an excerpt excerpts from this teaching. And then this is the the final couple of minutes. And he's talking about just what this theme is that I want to explore with you. So here he is. I think we're, we have to awaken from the dream, the hypnotic trance that makes us think we've got to escape death or transform. The inevitability of, you know, God and called it's, you know, the heavenly messengers, sickness, old age, and good. And this childish and adolescent uh, orientation of, you know, we've got to put a happy ending on it. We've got to turn it into something superficial. No, we, we inherit profundity. We are ennobled. We have, we don't thrust anything out. And in that, our true greatness has a chance to be forged and, and in a way relaxed back into. It's not like it has to be achieved. You know, it is what's true. I hope that's resonant. I just recognized I couldn't, I couldn't avoid. Uh, well, I could accept what is, or I could resist it. And there was nothing but suffering and confusion and unhappiness if I chose to be in conflict with what is. And there was so much beauty and possibility in fully surrendering and accepting what is. I, I don't want to waste however many moments I have left being in resistance to reality. Reality wins. 
And why would we want to resist it? Why would, you know, why would, isn't it our truest friend? So, yeah. yeah. I've used that line um, many times. I don't want to waste my time being in resistance to reality. Reality wins every time. And why, why spend our time in resistance to reality? Once you once you open up to reality, then you can respond to it wisely. But if you're contracted and afraid to see what's here, then um, you're spending your time um, living in denial of the truth, basically. <clears throat> so when we, when we let go of that resistance and accept what's here and we not we're not fighting reality. We're really giving up the struggle that somehow we're creating for ourselves. I love a line by Charlotte Bronte, the, the great English writer. She says, to see the worst is to take from fear her main advantage. Now, as I said, I'm an optimist at the beginning. So I don't want to go around just gloom and doom and saying, oh, it's all going down the tubes and I know where this is heading. No, it means letting go of thinking that you know where it's heading as well, whatever it is, and say, okay, this is how things are here right now. How can I respond wisely given this is the situation? Uh, in the last few weeks when I've been here, we were uh, looking at the five daily reflections that the Buddha said, think of every day. Um, I will grow old. If I live long enough, I will become sick. I will die. Everything and everyone near and dear to me, I will be separated from and I am the owner of my actions. I am the owner of my karma. I am the owner of uh, my actions and habits that determine my happiness or unhappiness. That's why he says to play around with these, to work with them every day, because that's reality. And so you want to just allow yourself to open to it. And when you do, when you give up the struggle and you see, oh, this is the way things are, there's a kind of relief that happens. I'll share with you a, a poem I've, I've shared before. I don't know how long ago. Uh, maybe it was recent. Um, called The Dakini Speaks by Jennifer Wellwood. Did I share this recently? This is what she says. My friends, let's grow up. Let's stop pretending we don't know the deal here. Or if we truly haven't noticed, let's wake up and notice. Look, everything that can be lost will be lost. It's simple. How could we have missed it for so long? Let's grieve our losses fully like ripe human beings, but please, let's not be so shocked by them. Let's not act so betrayed as though life had broken her secret promise to us. Impermanence is life's only promise to us. And she keeps it with ruthless impeccability. To a child, she seems cruel, but she's only wild and her compassion is exquisitely precise, brilliantly penetrating, luminous with truth. She strips away the unreal to show us the real. This is the true ride. Let's give ourselves to it. 
let's stop making deals for a safe passage. There isn't one anyway, and the cost is too high. We're not children anymore. The true human adult gives everything for what cannot be lost. Let's dance the wild dance of no hope. What an incredible line. Let's dance the wild dance of no hope. You might think, my God, that is so, such a downer. But it's really, it's a relief when you're stopping crossing your fingers and and desperately hoping it will all work out. I do everything I can to affect the change that I want. And, uh, and so there is a vision. I think it's helpful to have a positive vision, but without the fear there's a kind of strength and courage that comes from just doing what you can do, knowing that it's the best that you can do. Uh, Joanna Macy, I mentioned this before, she, she used to hate the word hope. She said, oh, it's so kind of um, airy-fairy. But then she had to write a book called Active Hope. And active hope is the kind of hope that's that's not not living in fear, but just having a vision and doing what you are called to do and knowing that just you're doing it feels good just for the rightness of it instead of um, standing on the sidelines and, and chewing your fingernails and saying, oh, God, what if it doesn't work out? It, it might not work out, whatever it happens to be whatever your particular thing happens to be. And there's a kind of relief in that. So acceptance is what leads to true equanimity. And this is what we're talking about, equanimity. That when you can simply meet life where it is, and be open to all possibilities, there is a kind of balance that comes from that and a kind of wisdom in seeing, ah, I can be with anything and a kind of love that's not obstructed by fear that naturally shines through. Now, in the, uh, in the progress of insight, the classical description of how the process of awakening happens, there are a number of different stages to awakening. And those stages include when you see how everything is arising and passing, which can be a very uh, spectacular uh, understanding, it can then turn you towards seeing, oh, everything is disappearing. And that can lead to what's called an insight into the dissolution of everything. And that can lead to great fear, what's sometimes called the rolling up the mat stage where, oh my God, it's all disappearing. And you go through fear and terror and loathing and disgust. These are different stages of insight until finally you come to seeing a sense, having a sense of dispassion with the whole game and seeing, ah, okay, this is how things are. Coming and going, the truth of impermanence and after you go through that sorrow and pain, which is a natural part of the process, you come to high equanimity, seeing things as they really are, and that is the, the precursor to enlightenment. So this is not simple stuff that I'm talking about, but I'm just, I wanna point you to 
the possibility that when you are willing to accept whatever is here, there's a deep kind of freedom in that. So I want to just ask you, make this relevant to you. I invite you to mm, sit up or in whatever way get into some meditative mm, posture. And let's play around with this mm, understanding that suffering and acceptance cannot exist together. Let's see what it's like to just even play with it, get a glimpse of it. So I want to first invite you to get in touch with your own goodness as you sit here. And if you like, if you've gotten stirred up from whatever the words uh, that have been said, you can calm yourself down and maybe put a, uh, give yourself a loving touch, put your hand on your, on your, on your heart or some, some place to just kind of physiologically calm your system down. Getting in touch with your your love of the truth, your commitment to the truth. That's why you'd want to be here on a, a Thursday evening sharing the Dharma. And then I want to ask you to reflect, what are you most afraid of? And just don't have to pretend we're all touching our humanness here. We all have fears until we're fully enlightened. It might be personal. It might be uh, relational. It might be global. What are you most afraid of? Or another way you can enter this, what do you most resist? And just as you get in touch with that, hold yourself with a lot of compassion right now. And then just imagine what would it be like to accept that reality? If that should come to pass, what would it be like to use your practice the pure awareness that you've cultivated, the loving compassion that you've developed, what it'd be like to just hold reality in that way. As Ajahn Sumedho would say, oh, it's like this. Just try it on for size. I'll be quiet for a few moments. To be okay with your neuroses, if that's, that's your flavor of resistance and fear, to be okay with not liking, mind you, but to come to terms with whatever you might be resisting and 
see what it's like to just surrender that resistance. To realize you have limited control over reality and letting down the struggle. And knowing that you have the tools to face whatever the reality is. And you have support of friends because like-minded friends and community is the way we get through the hard times. But not adding that extra contraction Wasting our time in resistance to reality, whatever it might bring. And if you can, just feel the relief that comes from putting down the struggle. And welcoming the way things are. Okay, and now um, be tender with yourself once again and realize that now there's this moment of reality where whatever you're afraid of or resisting is not happening right now. There's refuge in the present moment. Oh, this is a pretty good moment. Here we are with Dharma friends. Don't miss that. Why spend our time, mm, too much time, unless it's a practice, uh, thinking of the worst or fearing the worst. Uh, and just open up to this moment of reality as it is and hold this moment and hold yourself with really a compassionate kind awareness. And know that this is a practice that you can use whenever you find yourself in contraction. Ah, is it possible to accept this moment the way things are? The, the essence of Dharma practice, seeing things as they really are. Okay, you can come back gently. Okay, so we have some time if there's anything that comes up from that. And um, whether it's a question or a comment or an observation or a complaint or a, a whatever it is, um, let's just hear what that's like. Let's be here together. And if you'd like, you can either raise your hand if you're on uh, digitally or manually. Is that uh, Douglas? You have your, your hand raised? Thanks, James. Hi. Um, are you familiar with the Senate Republican primary in Pennsylvania? Yes, I am. Who's the weirdest <laughs> Republican vying for office in that race? Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the weirdest <laughs> of them all? Uh, yeah. And how any, are you? Any, any opinion on, uh, Oh, on your part for me, uh, uh, I go for the mean spirited is my, is my criterion. Um, and so, um, when there's mean spiritedness, 
I, I try to have compassion for that mind and that heart that is so caught. And as I say, I'm, I, for me, being engaged and doing what I can is how, you know, as Angelus Arian says, action absorbs anxiety. Uh, and, um, no, but I, I, I don't, I don't, don't want to get into, into that because it's, first of all, it's just a primary. So um, I, I, I actually didn't think I'd get, get your true opinion in this, <laughs> in this forum. <laughs> I know you've got one, but you're not going to give it. And that's, that's fine. Yeah. You've well, got there's some... you've got, you've got an, you've got an image to retain, but uh, Mehmet Oz's campaign slogan is a dose of reality. Mm-hmm. Does that add a little perspective on what you talked about tonight? Yeah. The thing is that everybody has their own reality. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's the thing to, to keep in mind. You know, I, I love that line from uh, the Dalai Lama who says, if somebody is upsetting you, understand it's, it's basically because their internal reality is intersecting with your internal reality in a way that is not meeting up with your hopes, expectations, and, and reality. And I will do everything I can to shift the, the bigger reality. And so there's just compassion as in my better moments, there's compassion in my other moments I can rant and rave. And that's, that's part of the, that's part of the, the venting as well. And there's a place I think for mm, wise venting. <laughs> well, you, I, I think you jumped a giant chasm to start this discussion. Um, and, and I'm getting some insight into your attitude. Um, there is such a thing as more objective reality yeah. and less objective reality. That's true. And you, you seem to take the tact that um, the problem is accepting the more objective reality. And I'll suggest the primary problem is determining, arriving at, intuiting, mm-hmm. discerning what the more objective reality is. So I'm I'm in a completely different camp than you. I don't I don't think it's acceptance and surrender. I think it's I think it's the determination of that more objective reality. And it you know it takes a certain amount of knowledge and experience and and mental horsepower, mm-hmm. cognitive ability. Yeah to get at that more objective reality. And we are not all on equal grounds when it no, comes to and, those. And that is, that is part of the reality to accept. It reminds me of a, that, that we're coming, we're going bigger and bigger. Yeah, there isn't a, a, a reality. The, you know, the Buddha said, mm-hmm. if you want to be happy, don't cause harm. Uh, and, there, and to live in harmony with, with this universe. However, I'm just thinking of a a, 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 a Taoist saying, uh, when a wise man hear, when a wise person hears the Tao, they practice diligently. When a, a mediocre person hears the Tao, they wobble. And when a fool hears the Tao, they laugh. And yet, if such a one did not laugh, then the Tao would not be the Tao. Well, I'll come up with my own quote. Beware <laughs> of false prophets yep. teaching reality. I, I couldn't agree with you more, Douglas. Thank you. Yep. Thank you very much. Thanks. And as I said before, this does not, accept, not mean acceptance to not engage. There's that serenity prayer to have the courage to change the things you can and the serenity to accept the things you can't. And reality, whatever the reality is, okay, this is what's here. Now, how am I going to respond to it? Yeah.
thanks so much. Is the Terry Patton video available to the public? Well, actually, uh, uh, he uh, he just um, somebody just asked me that. I'll tell you what. I can put it in the chat box. Uh, here's the the excerpt. Hold on a second of the nine the nine minute excerpt of that teaching and. There it is. Any other any other comments? Oh, it's almost time to go. Any last pressing comment? Okay, then why don't we uh, why don't we close? I just invite you this week, if this didn't stir you up too much, whenever there's fear or contraction. For me, actually, I remember Joseph Goldstein, when I first started practicing, he said, if there's suffering, if you look carefully, there's a neon light somewhere in your mind that it can go off. Oh, attachment. Where's the attachment? And if you can see the attachment, see what it's like to let go of the attachment and accept this is... This is the way things are right now. How can I respond in a wise, skillful way? Not coming from fear, but coming from um, courage and wisdom and love. So let's dedicate, dedicate our evening to our own practice. May we learn to accept reality so we can wisely respond. And may our practice be for the benefit of everyone that we know and ripple out to be of benefit to all beings everywhere, human, non-human, and uh, this beautiful planet. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.